Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today's episode 95, the Lightning McQueen edition, I say, but as you'll hear in a minute, my dad actually dropped the ball, forgot to pay homage to the legend, but that's all right. We'll get him back next week. We have a Daytona 500 to recap with Michael McDowell as our victor. You see that coming? Raise your hand if you did. Well, I hope nobody's raising their hand because I don't believe you. More Daytona racing to preview this upcoming week, turning right and left on the road course. And, of course, a star of the show. Fun chat with Jamie Little, Fox reporter extraordinaire, voice of the ARCA series, Pit Road, she does it all with Fox Sports, and she has done it all in her motorsports career. Part two of our conversation, recorded recently after her debut as the play-by-play voice of the Arkham Menard series. Love getting to chat with her. She's an incredible human being, and uh, I, I really think you guys are going to enjoy that chat. And if you haven't already, go back in the archives and listen to part one of our chat with Jamie. She was amazing there as well. But before we do any of that, we're paying homage to somebody Who's top of mind this week? And yes, I understand Lightning McQueen should be here. Dad, you dropped the ball. We understand. It's okay. We talked it over at dinner. But if there's anybody to replace good old Lightning this week, I think it should be this guy. Take a listen. Thank you, Duve, and welcome to this week's look back at number 95. The cup drivers will be turning right as well as left this week in Daytona, so it's only appropriate that this past weekend threw us a curve for today's segment. 526 cup starts for the 95, but alas, no wins. There are several cup drivers we could talk about who drove the 95, but until this past Sunday, frankly, none of them would have been worthy of our attention. Daryl Waltrip scored some of his earliest success driving the 95. He did that on a part-time basis from 1972 to 1974. But we don't remember Daryl for his time in the 95 car, do we? Guess who has the most starts in the 95, and even 100 of them? That would be one Michael McDowell. Yes, that Michael McDowell. If you knew McDowell at all before Sunday, it wasn't for his time in the 95 car. The most noteworthy highlight of the 95 I could find is that the number went nearly 43 years between posting top five finishes. Waltrip's last in the car was at Rockingham in 1974, and McDowell's first came at Daytona in 2017. Before Sunday, you likely knew McDowell as a hard-luck nice guy who struggled with underfunded teams and as a backmarker starting Parker. I remember McDowell for the horrendous qualifying wreck he suffered at Texas in 2008. At the time, I thought there was no way he'd walk away from it, but luckily he did. And now, McDowell will be remembered for a more impressive accomplishment. He's your 2021 Daytona 500 champion. 
That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Yes, a hearty congrats to Mr. McDowell. We're going to talk all about him a lot more. But before we do that, start it off, as always, for the first time with the 2021 racing season under our belts with a good old-fashioned Michael McDowell wins the 63rd running of the Daytona 500. He is a champion of the great American race. He's been on a pretty long journey to get here. I'll be the first to admit it, and I'm sure that he would be as well. From being rushed up the ranks with MWR, wound up being an open-wheel champion with the Mazda Road to Indy, he had a lot of opportunities in NASCAR, but a lot of them were not good. Front row is probably the best one that he's had. I mean, he's starting parked for years, missing the Daytona 500 in 2011, driving for Phil Parsons. Again, we remember Michael Waltrip Racing. People remember McDowell for that harrowing qualifying wreck at Texas in the double zero car where he hit the wall and spun and flipped every which way. But he has paid his dues, and he's been really good on super speedways. Talladega, Daytona, road courses, those have been his specialty. And all of these things led him to where he is today, which is in a position to capitalize when the moment presented itself. He's had opportunities in open wheel. He's had opportunities in stock car racing. He's had pressure thrust upon him. He's won. He just hasn't been able to do it at the top level of NASCAR. But that all changed on Monday morning in the wee hours after the rain delay because Michael McDowell, as the seas parted, he came through and was awarded the Daytona 500 victory. How do you like that? It's all about the journey. It's what shapes you and molds you, you know, and, and it's all character building. And I was so lucky to, to get that Mazda scholarship and be in the Road to Indy program because without it, I'd still be at Bondurant as a driver coach. I mean, I had no money, no sponsors. There was no way I was going to be able to go afford to move to the next level in racing. And, and that Mazda scholarship and that Road to Indy program is the only thing that allowed me to continue to, to move forward. Um, so yeah, I'm super thankful for the journey and in the process. And, and, and even though I came into NASCAR with not a lot of stock car experience, you know, I had, you know, IndyCar and, and IMSA and, and years at a high level. So I think that helped, you know, just because the pressure that it comes from, being a, a part of a big organization and and all those things that come with it so i'm i'm the journey's been awesome and it's it's what it's all about i mean it's it could have gone so many different ways right and just one little turn here or there and it, it completely changes you know just the whole the whole journey so i'm very thankful for it being at the track i actually got the chance to ask him about denny hamlin's congratulatory message that he gave him on twitter after the race he spoke pretty candidly about that, and he thinks that these drivers that are racing around him week in and week out are genuinely happy and excited for him, and they know that he's deserving of it, which is good to see. Yeah, Michael, obviously I haven't seen it because it's 2.10 in the morning, but Danny Hamlin just tweeted um, that your win tonight was no fluke, wasn't an anyone-can-win type of race, that you're front, up front time and time again at these super speedway races well-earned and well-deserved, congrats. And that's coming from the best super speedway racer that's in the Cup Series right now, I would say. So what does that mean coming from a guy like that? Yeah, it means a lot. And and Joey came and saw me at Victory Lane too. And, and 
I think that there's a, there's a general respect that drivers have for each other. Um, but I do feel, I don't know how to say it. I, I do feel like those guys, um, are genuinely excited to, to see a guy like me, uh, in victory lane. I'm sure they would rather it be them, but in, as far as the quince, not being coincidental, um, everything still has to go your way. And even for Denny, you know, he's so good at these places, but that last lap, everything has to go your way. And, um, and so being in that top five is, is what it's all about. And we've done that a few times. So I, I do think the same, it's not a coincidence that we're in here, but golly, if it ain't miraculous, it's, it still is to me. <laughs> now make no mistake about it. This was a surprise. It was, but it was not a shock. It's not miraculous by any means either. I mean, Justin Haley winning at Daytona, that that's a miracle and that's luck. He'll be the first one to tell you that too. Derek Cope in 1990, that's an upset. That's that's surprising, borderline shocking. Trevor Bain winning 10 years ago in 2011, who Michael McDowell's drove his motorhome for and got a call at 5.30 in the morning from, that is shocking and surprising. This was not shocking. This was a little bit of a surprise, but as I mentioned, he's been up front contending for wins at Daytona and Talladega for a long time. He, he's good at this stuff. And as I also mentioned... He has started and parked for years. He drove Trevor Bain's motorhome for years. He has been down in the dumps, and he has believed this entire time that he could get it done. He said he knows that that's crazy to think about, but he this whole time has believed it's all going to be worth it when he finally gets a win in the Cup Series. So let's ask him, was it all worth it? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and even before that, when I got the opportunity at the 95 with Bob and Sharon Levine, it made it worth it, right? Because I was around and I was making races and that's what allowed me to have that opportunity in that car because at the time they had to make the races. And so it, it absolutely makes it worthwhile. Do you know I mean? And, and like I said, as weird as it sounds while I was doing it, I sort of knew that this was the reason why not the Daytona 500, but, that I would eventually get an opportunity. And you just never know if that works out, but it did. There you have it, the Daytona 500 champion. He says he's always going to be known as the dude who flipped to Texas when Jeff Glock asked him about it. But he don't care, and he shouldn't at this rate. And he also drove his motorhome down to Daytona, and he had to adhere to the protocols that Daytona put in place of arriving a day early and stuff. And he said he called. He was like, well, I'm a driver. Do I actually have to come a day early? They're like, yes, you do celebrities and Daytona 500 champs they're just like us I'm also pretty intrigued by his crew chief Drew Blickensdurfer who has four wins in his cup series career three of them coming at Daytona two of them in the Daytona 500 and the first win of his career came in his first race ever as a crew chief in the cup series that's an interesting career if I do say so myself and he was really candid and spoke honestly and openly about how the unrealistic expectations that were set upon him from a rival in Cup. Because in 2009, he won the 500 with Matt Kenseth. And everything else from there is going to be downhill. Because you win the biggest race of them all, there's no much going up from there. Um, I'm really intrigued by him. And, and I was I was really... I like listening to him talk about it post-race. Because um, as I mentioned, this is a really interesting career. And he understands that the chances that he gets to win races are few and far between. 
With McDowell, they try to focus on the road courses, but specifically the super speedways and specifically Daytona. So when they do, they try to take advantage, and that's exactly what they did. So three or four wins now have come here at this place, two of them in this race specifically. I mean, what is it about this place that just jives with you? I, I've been lucky. Like I, I, someone said that the other day, they they looked at my stats here and they've been really, really good. And, and, and this is a place that's such a crapshoot, you know, because at Talladega, they haven't been good, you know, and it's similar style racing. Um, I love, I, I think um, when you look at guys that, that run good here as drivers, they embrace it and they love it. And they're not thinking, oh, it's one of those things. I hope I don't get wrecked. It's how do I win? And I don't know if there's anything to it, but I love coming to Daytona. There is no part of, uh, whether it's the 4th of July or, or the second race of the season or it's, it's the first race of the season, coming to Daytona um, is a super exciting time for me. Um, I love the aspect of the racing. I, I think, you know, the last few years, these have been my chances to win races as a crew chief. So that's helped embrace some of the, the love to come down here. Um, when it was more of a handling racetrack, I, I really liked that part of it. And now that the, 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 the strategy has kind of changed, um, I, I've embraced that. It's a, it's a place unlike Talladega where it gets clogged up at the end of the race and you have to be at the front. Um, you can't make it three or four wide very easily to get from 20th to the lead in 10 laps like you can at Talladega. So um, just a strategy part of Daytona. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a place that I've really embraced. And, and I don't know if it's luck or not. Um, Either way, I'm going to keep riding it. He also was pretty emotional about this specific race because he didn't know if he would win again. He really didn't. And it's been a while since he did. Again, four wins in his Cup Series career, three of them at this place, two of them in this race. But the last time he did, he it's been a while. And when he was asked, you know, why, why is this one different? He started to get choked up. And, and it means a lot to him to get back here to know that he can do it and he knows what that feeling's like again. Denny Hamlin finished top five, but led a race high, 98 laps, and pretty much dominated the day. He almost dominated too much, uh, and he was too good, especially on pit road, because crew chief Chris Gabehart basically said that their final pit stop was too quick. He explained it on the Joe Gibbs Racing Twitter page, but, but essentially, the Toyotas, they did not have strength in numbers. So when the Ford and the Chevrolets pitted together, they hooked up as a pack, as a freight train, and they blew right by the Toyotas that were not hooked up together, coming off up to speed on pit road. And then everybody riding single file for the remainder of the race, as we know what that's what happened. That didn't help Denny's chances either because nobody was going to go out of line and try to make something happen. The bid for three in a row comes to an end, and he'll try to start another streak next year. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, it's the first time that really... Lack of numbers uh, really played a big role uh, in, in the finish. But, um, you know, we pitted when we did. And, you know, we were we were just, you know, it's just like the duel uh, where we were three seconds out there. And just, you know, it's just not a place where you want to be three seconds out there. Yeah, I don't know what we could have done different. Um, you know, maybe back up to the 18, trying to get up to speed faster. But. I don't know. We just, yeah, our fate was sealed when we got shuffled there and then everyone committed to going uh, single file till the last lap. Um, I thought for sure uh, Chevy's would make a move. Um, you know, I was, I was 12th or something in line and I'm like, you know, I, I can't, I'm not going to win from here. So I got to get that bottom line. Just, I got to get some energy going, get something moving, 
tried to shuffle a few times, didn't work. Nobody's wanting to go anywhere. Um, and then uh, once we came up on slap cars, I was able to gain four car spots uh, to get to eight. And I'm like, okay, I can do something from here from two to go as long as they go with two to go. But everyone thought they, they could win from 10th on the last lap. So it uh, didn't work out. And, um, you know, we just, our fit seal was, Fate was sealed, and so we uh, we got the best finish, honestly, we possibly could. You could tell he's pretty pissed about it. I mean, you could hear it in his voice, but he really did get the best finish that he could, as he said. I mean, a top five after that, I would say that's a, not a successful day in his mind, but making the most out of the cars that you were dealt at the end of the day. The last lap crash, as we all know, and, and we've seen replays of at Nauseam now, that involved Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, Austin Sindrick, Bubba Wallace was in it, who had really good speed all day. Some others as well. Brad seemed pretty pissed at Joey about it. Um, and I don't think he should be pissed at Joey, but he should be pissed at the situation. I mean, he's going for it. So is Joey. Joey's trying to get the win. He's blocking. Of course he's going to block. And Brad's going to make a move. Of course he is. He should understand that Joey's going to make a block too. You're going for the date, tone of 500. That's going to happen. And overall... Uh, just thoughts on this race. I mean, I've talked about it on the Front Stretch podcast. I encourage you guys to go listen to that once you're done here. But essentially, the rain wreaked havoc on my mental health, for sure. Uh, and just the race that happened afterwards as well. Because he had the big one on lap 15. Wiped out 16 cars, 12, 13 of them. Really good. Could be considered the class of the field. So then the field shrinks, and Denny Hamlin explained it like, okay, Everybody that's left thinks that they have a legitimately good shot at winning this thing. So they're going to ride around, just click off laps until they get to the end when they can maybe make their move. And when we say the end, we mean the end, as in the last lap, the last mile, a mile and a half or so of the last lap. Uh, but Chase Elliott comes home in second place, Austin Dillon third, Kevin Harvick fourth, and Denny Hamlin finished in fifth. I mentioned Austin Sindrick. He made his Daytona 500 debut and his Cup Series debut on Sunday night into Monday morning. But the day before, he won the Xfinity Series race. And he uh, had to figure out quickly when he was going to transition into his mindset of debuting in the Cup Series. First win for Team Penske at Daytona on the big track. His title defense is off to a pretty, pretty good start as he wins the beef. It's what's for dinner. 300 take a listen i like the hats thank you. i've done it once before so i'll, I'll keep trying yeah. to go they keep giving out these cowboy hats so I'm, I'm all right with it yeah if it ain't broke don't fix it that's right uh, so this is penske's first xfinity series win at daytona did you know that that hadn't happened coming into the race and i guess consequently how, how much does that mean to you personally yeah, I mean, I know that, and I know that they've been leading at the white flag a lot of times, too. So, uh, you know, I think my engine tuner, uh, Tommy Chandler, has actually been part of almost every single one of those uh, second-place losses or whatever you want to call it. So I'm sure he's over the moon that we were able to win this thing tonight. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, they are they were playing it before we got in the cars. They were playing it under red flag. They are playing on the Jumbotron half the race. So uh, glad we were able to deliver. Uh, Roger was actually in 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 the facility watching, watching us. So, um, that's the second race in a row he's been to and second race we've won. So uh, I guess he's got to come to more races for us. I don't know if you consider it, but in less than 24 hours, probably one of, if not the biggest race of your life is going to happen. So when do you turn the page and start focusing on that? Or has that already happened for you? You're going to let it sink in a little bit? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I definitely want to in, enjoy the moment with my guys. You know, the, the winning at these types of racetracks is so difficult for so many different reasons. And 
um, for, for me to be able to win this one. I want to enjoy it because it's a great way to start the year, but um, it's, it's something that, that I'll, I'll definitely appreciate. Um, you know, I've, I've flipped here. I've been in the care center more times than I've finished. Uh, uh, I've, I've, I've won here on the road course. I've won here on the rally cross track. So Daytona has been, had a lot of highs and lows for me. Uh, so uh, definitely, definitely one of those tonight. And uh, just real quick, are you going to have beef for dinner? Uh, I beef is what's for dinner. I actually just got done talking to a whole group of folks that, that are, that are watching in a suite, uh, between the, between the shell people and, uh, you know, the, the head people at Penske and they're having uh-huh. dinner. And, um, from what I understand, they're eating a lot of beef. So, uh, <laughs> beef's the word tonight. What's your favorite cut of beef? Favorite cut of beef. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a New York strip guy for talking steaks here, but okay. uh, not too picky. Uh, the bigger, the better. Thank you for that. Big New York strip guy. I'm with you there, Austin. Again, I actually was able to chat with Austin for the Front Stretch podcast this week. So once you're done listening here with our chat with Jamie Little, go ahead and pop over there. Click that subscribe button, leave a rating and a review after you do it here, of course. And uh, hope you enjoy the conversation with Austin because it was good. Talked about a lot of fun stuff. So let's talk about the Truck Series race. That, That finish was really entertaining as well. Ben Rhodes gets the W past Corey Roper. That's right, Corey Roper through the trioval and was able to hold off Jordan Anderson, who comes home in second place once again, the second year in a row that that driver comes oh so close. But it's Thor Sport Racing's Ben Rhodes who comes through with the season opening dub. The final lap when it was going down and on the backstretch, Corey was telling us that when he felt that you were not at his bumper and pushing him, he knew that he was a sitting duck at that point you didn't end up getting by him until coming through the trial. Well, can you walk us through like the last half of the final lap from your perspective? Yeah, no, that's, that's kind of what I was wanting. Um, you know, I, I was worried that if I got past him too quickly, then, um, you know, he was going to side draft me right back and get the win, but I, I didn't plan on Jordan Anderson coming out of nowhere. Uh, he almost snuck by past both of us. So, um, I was, I was really surprised on that. Uh, but I tried to plan this out from, the previous lap, uh, you know, I lost the stage win for stage two from this exact thing happening. And I said, and my, 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 my spotter, TJ Bell said, all right, we lost this one, but don't lose the next one. And we did just that. I learned from it. That was a big mistake on my part, but we learned from it. We overcame it and we set it up perfectly to be able to do this for, for the, the real one that mattered. And the Arca race also happened. We love Jamie little and we love Arca close to my heart, but race wasn't that great. Very anticlimactic. Corey Heim for Venturini Motorsports wins again, his second win in a row dating back to the season finale last year. Venturini, I think, has won three or four straight at Daytona on the big track. They are a match made in heaven. Congrats on the victory. So on the last lap, uh, Drew was just saying, essentially, he wasn't exactly sure if it was going to be two laps to go or one lap to go. I know that your crew chief was talking to you through things, so how aware were you of the situation in terms of the amount of laps left, the overtime procedure, and the team orders that were in place in, in the sense of Drew pushing you? Um, yeah, I was pretty aware of everything. Uh, my spotter does a great job of what he does, just uh, keeping me up to date, and uh, so does Shannon Rush, so uh, my crew chief. And um, I think they both do a really good job of just, like I said, keeping me up to date, and I was pretty aware of it. Um, uh, I got told that there was a white flag, one-lap shootout um, on the way to the uh, restart, so yeah. And your last two races have both been wins to cap off last year and start this year. You got big plans this year for a full-time year. So what does this do for you confidence-wise, obviously, still getting your bearings a little bit? 
Yeah, it definitely gives me a lot of confidence. Um, you know, starting the year off like this, especially when there's a huge car count. Um, you know, I think we had 36 cars start the race. So if we had like a DNF or something like that, that would have been um, a really, really rough start to our season. But luckily we were on the other end of it today. So um, it does really good, really good wonders for the rest of my season. Four series, four races, more rain than I would have liked. Not so much sleep. I was up for 40 straight hours. That was uh, not great. But I'll tell you what, we got all the races in. The ratings weren't great. That happened also. But I'm just glad that I was able to be down there, experience everything, albeit in a different COVID world. Thankful to Front Stretch and NASCAR for making it all happen. And again, congratulations to Michael McDowell, Daytona 500 champ. Interview time. Throwing it over to Jamie Little for part two of our chat. I say part two of sorts because we didn't do this in two parts back to back. We did it in two parts separated. But she has some exciting ventures going on. An insane week for her. Her first race call in the Arkham Menard series in the broadcast booth with Phil Parsons. Also talked about her cameos in the new Netflix series, The Crew. And we covered a lot of topics that I wanted to get to with her in part one that we just ran out of time and weren't able to get to. Things like Nothing But Cakes, Jimmy John's franchises, her acting escapades, a video game named after her, how the ARC opportunity came about, her passion for animals. So, so much to dive into with Jamie. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you guys hear for yourself. Here is part two of my chat with the living legend herself in every sense of the word. Jamie Little. Super excited to have Jamie Little back on the show for a part two of sorts. You guys remember, she was on a few months ago, and she told me, she said, look, circle back with me around Daytona. We'll talk about the crew. We'll talk about ARC. It'll be great. So it's going to be great. You have some exciting ventures going on, Jamie, and I'm sure that this week had to be one of the most busy, crazy, insane for you. Yes, you you nailed it. It was everything and then some um the weekend daytona you know the weekend daytona is always insane anyway just mm -hmm. with the biggest race of the year it's the first race of the year it's just there's so much you know media attention you're doing media interviews plus you're covering multiple series yep. this year with arca added into the mix the extra pressure <laughs> and the extra attention it was awesome everything went off without a hitch minus the rain for sunday's daytona 500 yeah but yeah i'm feeling like i'm playing catch up but yet i'm <laughs> gotta leave here in an hour to get on another flight to go back to daytona <laughs> <laughs> no it never stops it really doesn't um how was how was doing the arca race for the play-by-play -play compared to what it was in theory and when you were practicing for it because like you said it seems like everything went off without a hitch you had phil in the booth with you you had another jamie down on pit road how was it in execution rather than in theory and in practice? So much better. Oh my gosh. I, I'm just a live TV person. I've that's just yeah. been my thing since day one. And um, you know, there's just an energy about being live, knowing that mm -hmm. there isn't a second take. What you say is out there. And having a real race happening and unfolding in front of you, not watching a computer. Sure, you're watching screens, but it's happening right now. Yeah. And you've got the producer in your ear, the director in your ear. Chase Briscoe joined us this year in the booth. So it, it was just incredible. I loved every minute of it. I felt a lot better doing the real thing Great. than in rehearsal. Um, but I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, and you're going to. That That's great, though, because as I was listening to you on the broadcast, you know, I remember what you were telling me in our first chat, which is essentially you can prep all you want and that's good. 
but nothing is like live television, the adrenaline. It's like a drug. Like when, once you get it, you can't get enough. And um, it, it seems like everything went off well. And also, too, I mean, Fox this weekend, not just for the ARCA race, but for the entirety of Speed Week coverage, it seemed like females took over Fox. You had you, Jamie Howell was on pit road for the ARCA race. Caitlin Vinci and Shannon Spake were back at the Charlotte studios. Our friend Heather DeBoe was with you on pit road spotting during the entire weekend. It seemed like Fox was just breaking barriers all around this weekend. It was great to see. It was funny. Yeah. Women were taking over my, um, producer of the ARCA race, Pam Miller. She produces right. Xfinity as well. So she produced both of those races back to back. I think she was on for like 12 hours or something crazy. Wow. Um, Kate Osborne was on pit road for ARCA That's right, as yeah. well. So yeah, we even had a female uh, flag woman for our, the ARCA yeah. series. She's been doing it you for Made sure to get years. that in there. I appreciated that. Yeah, I got a little shout out to her. So, you know, it's, it's time. There are so many women in the garage and um, just, you know, different ones are getting noticed now and they've worked their way mm -hmm. up. So it, it's a really cool time right now. And uh, I think that it went really well. It's great to see. How did you pass the time during the rain delay on Sunday? And then when the race ended into Monday morning, what did you do? Oh my gosh. Unfortunately, we have a lot of practice at rain delays. Yes, oh. we do. <laughs> we go in our little office trailer, you know, once lightning strikes, we're done. We can't mm -hmm. talk to anybody. We can't interview anybody because all of our equipment has to go somewhere. We're, you know, we're like, um, a little antenna waiting to be struck, you know, those packs <laughs> we wear around yeah, our waist and our headset. So um, we had to go right to our office trailer that's right in the cup garage and we hung out there and it poured like crazy. So you just hang out, you snack, you eat a lot and you eat some more and uh, watch TV for what it's worth. But the satellite goes out in there. So you're just yeah. kind of sitting there, me and Vince and, and Regan just hung out. I think it was about four and a half hours. And we honestly thought they were going to call it. I think the booth even recorded everybody a did saying goodbye. And all of us um, reporters, we went out to our cars and sat in the parking lot. So when we got the official word, we were out of there. And um, and no, they said, we're going back. Clint Boyer actually texted me and said, you better get some coffee. I'm like, shut up. You're, you're <laughs> kidding. He's like, no, for real. We're going back racing. They said in an hour. Wow. So we did. Lo and behold, we went back racing and I'm very thankful that they held out hope and uh, we got it in. I am as well, because uh, as you know, rebooking all the travel, just logistical nightmare after nightmare. Something about Daytona and the 500 and rain. It's just they go together like peanut butter and jelly, unfortunately. Uh, I know you want to have rain in your neighborhood. Just call up the race. <laughs> yep. Just call NASCAR. They'll come to town. That's um, right. And The Crew, which is the new Netflix show that debuted the last time I checked, it was actually top five in the U.S., which is awesome. I've watched the first couple episodes, been busy doing some other stuff, but I have it on my calendar to sit yeah. down and watch it. They were on Kevin Harvick's car for the 500. They're on Corey LaJoy's car for the road course. And you, Jamie, are in the show. So can you tell us a little bit about the show in general and your cameos? You had a couple ones in there so far. Yes, um, I believe I'm in three different episodes, a um, couple lines here and there, but mm -hmm. it was really cool. I think it was October. I got to go to New York. I mean, through protocols and everything, I, I had to quarantine when I got there. And yeah, it was, yeah, very, they were very careful. I think it was the first show back after, you know, after the pandemic began mm -hmm. for Netflix. So they were like under tremendous scrutiny to do it right, to do it yeah. safely. And, um, it was awesome. So much fun to work next to Kevin James. I mean, he's a legend. He's so funny. He um, and we did all of ours in a studio. So 
Um, I got to interact, I think, with all of the characters in the show. They're in one of my scenes, um, you know, or another in, in a different episode. But it was really cool. Even though you play yourself, it's still stressful. You have to memorize the lines. I mean, they write your lines and they want things delivered a certain way. So even though it's me and what I do, it's still nerve wracking. And it had been a long time since I got to act and yeah. be myself. So um, it was great. And I really like it, you know, just being there, I felt like they've got a good handle on NASCAR and, and this could be a real story in our sport. I mean, there are teams like this that are family run and owned and, and it was harder. It reminds me of AJ Foyt. He was very mm. hesitant to move to computers and engineering and, and getting away from doing things himself. And that's kind of what this story is with Kevin James as the crew chief. So it's very believable, but funny as heck, you know, as well. Um, so from what I've heard, people are loving it. Of course, people want to, you know, take stabs at it and say, oh, yeah. they're making fun of the sport, but they're not. It's, they're having fun with it. They love NASCAR so much. The writer of this show is a huge NASCAR fan. Mm -hmm. It was his concept and it's because he loves NASCAR. So I think that people are getting that. I think it's just fun. And it's awesome that Hollywood wants to do an entire show around our sport. It's great exposure. As you saw in the episodes that you've seen, Blaney's in there, Cole Custer, Austin yep. Dillon. So it was great. Yeah, my thing is, you know, I, I don't get why people have to nitpick certain things and say, oh, well, they're doing it a disservice. At least Hollywood and these big wigs, Netflix, NASCAR is on Netflix. You know, that's a big deal, no matter how you slice it, especially in this day and age. And is it the greatest show ever made in the world? No. And it's not the worst either. It's funny. It's something that yeah. you can just relax and watch and unwind. And at the end of the day, they talk about NASCAR with it as well. And it's going a little bit more mainstream, which, as you said, it can't be a bad thing. And it's just something really fun. Plus, it's coming from a good place because the people that wrote the show and that are on the show, including Kevin James, they're fans of the sport themselves. So it's a win-win. I agree with you. Yeah, and NASCAR was um, listening in on every single take, like every mm -hmm. show, every time they recorded, LA was listening just to make sure that the vernacular, that everything was authentic to NASCAR. And you see the real NASCAR signs, logos. I mean, they're using real sponsors, yeah. everything. It's legit. They're not just having a spin off and making fun of it. It's legit. And, yeah. um, and hopefully people enjoy that and appreciate it. I mean, in, in this day and age right now, it's great to have something to laugh at. And Kevin James is perfect for it. Besides you, of course, my favorite character so far is Chuck, the crew chief. I'll make the car run. He's the best. I yeah. love him. <laughs> he is. Matter of fact, right? I love Beth. Yeah. She is a little spitfire. Yeah, she's great she as was, well. She was like that off camera. She was great. That's cool. Um, so speaking of acting, you know, I had this in my rundown and I'm going to try to touch on a lot of topics with you today that we didn't get the chance to last time. I didn't know, you know, leading up to the first conversation that I was going to be speaking with an actress because you were in Fantastic Four back in 2006 and some other movies, films, TV shows here and there. How did acting in general and just being on screens, how did that start for you? Yeah, um, it was just, gosh, I guess just a matter of, again, you're one of the only females covering motorsports. And when I worked for ESPN, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, are coming to them asking if they can use their reporters or hosts or anchors for different scenes and movies mm -hmm. or shows. So I was lucky to get to benefit from that a few times. And um, yeah, Fantastic Four called and they needed um, an X Games reporter. They they wanted to use me. And um, it was so cool because the guys doing the stunts in the movie were real freestyle motocross riders. Yeah. So my scene, um, 
and Fantastic Four was with Channing Tatum before, like, uh, no, Channing Tatum was in, was he in that? No, he was in Supercross the movie before anybody knew about him. So I did Supercross the movie, wow. Fantastic Four, I think within the same year. Um, but Fantastic Four was just, I mean, Jessica Alba was in that movie. Mm -hmm. It was just, um, it was incredible. Chris Evans, I think. Yeah, I think he was. Um, yeah, before he was like Captain America and the big superstar that he is now. Uh, great opportunity. You know, it was just like the crew. It had just been a long time since I really got to be part of that. And, and I get to play myself in all of those. So yeah. um, great memories. But um, yeah, I also had my own video game for Xbox and PlayStation. Yes, you did. So. Yeah, back when I was cool. That's what I tell my kids. Oh, please. Come on. You're still cool. <laughs> uh, I gotta. I don't play video games that much anymore, but if I end up, you know, getting my PS2 out of the woodwork, I got to go to GameStop and, and get that get that video game with you on it. It's going to be a, that'll be fun to, to replay back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. You could play me and you pick like the, my riding gear and yeah, it was fun. <laughs> I love it. Um, let's go back to last year, Daytona, Jamie. Uh, before the race, it was pomp and circumstance like nothing I've ever seen before. Uh, President, former President Donald Trump was there. And I want to touch on the fact that you interviewed him and the fact that you were asked to do that. That's not lost on me. You know, we talked in our prior conversation about, you know, working in TV production and you see the ins and the outs and the behind the scenes stuff. You know, that's not something that comes together, you know, right away and says, oh, somebody go interview Trump, right? They chose you to do that. And I, I'm sure that you knew about that ahead of time. How much did it mean to you to be a, you know, be chosen by Fox to to handle that interview? And then B, when you're watching it back, I know you had some some social media posts reflecting on that. Just the fact that you can say you interviewed the president of the United States at the Daytona 500. That's something that not a lot of people can say. Yeah, exactly. That was a big day. Um, well, we had gotten word when I was heading down to Daytona that the president was coming for sure. Mm -hmm. And um and then I got a call. I was on the air for one of the practices. And one of my bosses said, um, I need to talk to you right away when the show's over. So I'm like, oh, gosh, what did something happen? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> and he said, hey, um, would you want to interview the president? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And they said, well, the White House called and they requested you. Um, so it's up to you if, if wow. that's something you want to do. And I said, yes. Well, I found out that um, one of the gentlemen that worked with Trump's team and he was kind of um, in charge of like media and like that kind of stuff. I don't know his exact title, but mm -hmm. he said um, he was a big NASCAR fan. So he went with who he wanted to interview Trump that he thought would do a decent job and not make him look bad. Yeah. And um, so I said, yes. And uh, it was so cool. The White House called me that afternoon. Like it said, Washington, D.C. calling and they just wanted to give wow. me just the parameters. They had already done my background check. Like they knew everything about me. <laughs> so crazy of course but, yeah um, yeah that was a really special time i got to go meet all the secret service sit in on a meeting like you just have to be aware of stuff when you're mm -hmm. that close to the president just to be heads up and um i got this special little pin that went on my credential and any secret service any security guard that saw that let me right through and it meant that i got to be within arm's length of the president that i was cleared Wow. So that was really special. And then when we actually did the interview, we were in the infield. So all pit road is jam packed with the teams and fans. And I mean, it was a wall of people watching. Yeah. And I'm like, no pressure, no pressure. And I look up, <laughs> I see snipers up on top of the roof. And I was like, I'm either in the safest place or the worst place right now. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm curious about that though, because you know, you say no pressure as a joke and you've been around doing this forever and you're the best at it. But in that moment, like, do you feel pressure or is it just another interview that you have to do? Well, you feel pressure just like I did for ARCA. You know, it's a good pressure where it gets your heart rate going and you feel your heart beating like, cause you just want to do a good job. You That's know, when you're, you're at not your best. Doubting, yeah. You're not doubting yourself. You just hope that everything goes smooth and, um, and then you do the best you can and nothing major happens like the mic goes out or something, you know, bad out yeah, of your control. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was great. And I thought the president handled himself well. And, and, um, you know, I, Melania was fantastic. They were, it was just a great experience for me. I, I was very proud that day. And, um, and I kind of felt the same about the ARCA race. You know, you feel the pressure to stand up and perform. You were given that opportunity. So don't fail. And um, when you do the best you can and you walk away, that's a good feeling. They say pressure is a privilege, and that was a that was definitely a privilege when he got to interview the president. That was that was insanely badass. So I just <laughs> want to touch on that. Thank um, you. Yes, that was one I won't forget. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of tough way to transition, but racing, as you know, Jamie, you can have the highest of highs and you can have the lowest of lows. That happens in the business. And actually, today as we're recording, this is the 20 year anniversary of Dale Earnhardt's passing at the 500. And if you cover racing long enough, I've been told uh, that you'll unfortunately cover death. And you did that 10 years ago, I believe, with Dan Weldon and IndyCar. Um, I'm curious if you could take us behind the scenes, you personally, what was it like dealing with that? And how did you manage your job and having to do that job and tell everybody what was going on with your emotions of dealing with somebody that you had developed a personal relationship with that had just passed away? Yeah, he and I were um, were good friends. Like he was just one of those drivers. I mean, anybody that knew him, like he just lit up a room. He was wild and crazy and so fun. And we just always had such a good friendship. I think I even introduced him to one of my girlfriends along the way and they dated. Like it was that kind of great yeah, friendship yeah. that we had, um, of, of course, before he met his wonderful wife, Susie. And um, the day that I was on, um, I was covering the race. Dan was part-time. He had won the Daytona or the Indy 500 that year. That's but right. But he was just part-time. So this was the finale of the IndyCar season in Vegas. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he started in the back of the pack. And it was just great to have him in the field to see if he can go for it. And there was a lot of money on the line if they can win. And um, and then the crash happened. And it was the worst day of my life on the job. Like, um I was at the infield care center interviewing drivers as they were being released and having to ask them like what they saw and without, you know, them having to go into too much detail, like you saw and heard a lot of stuff off yeah. camera. And then I saw Susie come up and she had her babies with her. And then I had to go to the hospital and see the family who was there and his dearest friends. And I had to report from the hospital, like what had happened and, um, and that he was no longer with us. And yeah, that, that was terrible. I don't think I slept that night. I was doing news, national news hits all night long, telling the world who Dan Weldon was and how wonderful he was and what a big loss it was to our sport. So, you know, in those situations, it's, you, you don't know how to prepare for him. You just, again, you just hope that all of the training that you've had comes out in those situations. And the only thing I could say is that I went into autopilot and I just did my job and you set all emotion aside and you do the job you um, to the best of your ability, you report. And then it's not until you get home and you're away from everyone and everything that I think that it really, it hits home. You know, that wasn't the, the first time um, or the last time that I had to report on somebody dying. Um, 
in IndyCar, we had to go through it too with Paul Dana dying in our morning warm up, the day of race. And then we went on with the race. And ironically, I was in victory lane with Dan Weldon that day. Um, so it's, wow. it's wild. And I tell people it's as weird as it is to say, NASCAR is the safest sport I've ever covered. I mean, every motorsport <laughs> I covered, I, I saw some good terrible, point. tragic things. And so hats off to NASCAR, you know, 20 years, we haven't had a death since Dale Sr. So that's, that's a, a big, um, attaboy to NASCAR and everybody who's worked for safety innovation. Thank you for your perspective on that. It's interesting to hear. It, it sounds like, you know, at, at that point, especially as you said, you know, you had a really close friendship with him. You know, your training can't prepare you for something like that because you don't train for something like that. And it just, it's reactionary. You just, as you mentioned, you do the job that's in front of you that you are hired to do. And everybody else, you know, it in the moment, I'm sure, you know, people are saying, why is she asking me this question? Why does she have to go there? But at the end of the day, you know, when you're reflecting on it and you can finally take a breath and I'm sure, you know, the interview subjects that you were talking to, they can also reflect and say, you know, wow, today this happened. Here's what I said. Here's why I said it, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Because as you said, you don't prepare for it. They don't prepare for it. It's all reactionary and it's all kind of the motorsports community coming together and just trying to help each other through it. Yeah, it's a tremendous responsibility. I mean, when you cover motorsports, I mean, it's easy to take it for granted because look at the crashes we see in, in NASCAR and yep. these guys walk away. So it's really easy to take it for granted and be loose about it. But I I'll, I constantly remind myself, like these guys are strapping in their car. It never gets old. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen, especially when we're at a super speedway race Yeah. Um, because I've seen it and you just you have to appreciate these guys and you have to be willing to do your job no matter what happens. And, um, that's just, that's the way it is. And it's not always easy. I gained a new appreciation for it last year, uh, when Newman had his accident, because up until that point, I, I hadn't experienced even injuries. I mean, the worst crash that I had seen was Kyle Busch when he broke his legs at Daytona with no safer barrier. Yeah. And my entire life, I had gone through, thankfully, watching NASCAR with no fatalities. And even when I saw the crash, I said, oh, wow, that's all right. He'll be fine. And then obviously we saw what happened and he wasn't. And then he eventually was. And that made me, you know, take a, a big of a deeper breath this year when I saw Brad crash on the last lap a couple of days ago, because up until last year, I would have said, oh, wow, big crash. He's fine. Thankfully, he was. But this year, I, I took a step back and I waited a little bit to make sure he was actually all right. Because as you mentioned, you know, nobody should ever take for granted the safety that's come so far in motorsports, especially now reflecting on 20 years since Dale passed. It's just, it, it is a tremendous responsibility, as you mentioned, especially to be the one that is telling the masses on television, you know, what happened. So I appreciate your perspective there. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. I, I think it's probably a good lesson for up and coming reporters mm -hmm. that are in this business or want to be part of motorsports that, you know, it's not all fun and games. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's serious and you have to be ready for it. And, um, you know, another thing going back to that wreck at, at Daytona, I love Artie Kempner is our um, director. He's the one that calls all the shots for all the camera angles. Mm -hmm. He's been doing it forever. He's Does so a great good. job. Yes, does a fantastic job. And you saw when there's a big crash like that, he stayed on Keselowski to watch the window net come down. And mm. no matter what I'm doing still to this day, I stop and look at my my camera. Uh, I've got a, a monitor, like a TV screen. Yep. 
and I watch just to make sure I see that every single window net came down because the communication isn't always happening in your ear. There's yeah. other things happening. So just for my own benefit, I, I watch to make sure that window net came down because you, you know, we work around these guys every single week and you form relationships with them. You know, you care about them and they're, you know, their families. And so, you know, you still, you put the job aside and you're like, yeah. is he okay? Is the window net down? Okay. Now we can move on and we can cover the story in the way we need to. Yeah, just take it in increments and just make sure everybody's all right and and go from there. All right, happier times. Let's get let's get to some happier stuff. I heard you say that when you were approached about doing potentially other sports in terms of reporting on them, um, I think football was one of them. Maybe when you were at ESPN, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You basically said, you know, thanks, but no thanks because I have it made where I'm at in motorsports, and I don't really want to go anywhere else or do anything else. Why, why was that the case? And you obviously still feel that way. Does that just go back to your deep rooted love of motorsports growing up? Yeah. I mean, I, like I always say, I found my career because I loved racing so much. I fell in love with it and I wanted to be such a big part of it. And I just found my niche that there was something in me that said, I want to interview these guys. I want to share their stories with their fans. I want to tell what it takes, everything that's sacrificed to be here, to be a pro and to make it. Um, and because of that, I feel like I've been decent at my job, you know, since the beginning because more it, than decent. Yeah. Well, it shines through in my passion. Yeah. I think that's the bottom line. No matter what people see my passion, no matter what motorsport I've ever covered. Mm -hmm. And I don't have that for other, other sports. I appreciate other sports. I watch football, but I've never cared to really get passionate about it or have that desire to want to be on the sidelines and interview. And I've always liked going where others have it. And I feel like the other sports, there's so many women that cover them. It was like, well, you know, they've got that covered. This is my niche, you know, racing is my thing. And, um, and I've been very fortunate that I was able to switch from ESPN to Fox and continue covering motorsports. Hell yeah, Jamie. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so that kind of brings us to where we are now. We mentioned, you know, you call an Arkham and art series races as a play-by-play broadcaster and i really like what you said when it was announced a few months ago you said goals are dreams with a deadline and then you said february i guess it was 13th is that deadline because that's when the arca race was gives me goosebumps now even just saying it out loud um so can you take me back to the moment when you got the call and things were finalized with with fox sports and jacob ullman to call arca races i mean what were your emotions there was it kind of shock disbelief excitement all the above well, it's crazy because it was only like a week before that I had had the conversation with him. Um, he's like, well, I want to know more about you wanting to do play by play. So we set up a call and, and we talked and I told him, you know, how I talked to Lee Diffie and, and that it's something I've always thought about. But Lee was like the kick in the butt that I needed to say, you know what, now is the time. What am I waiting for? I'm not getting any younger. I've been doing this job. This is my 20th year of covering motorsports. Why not say now is the time and just mm -hmm. figure it out? Say yes, figure it out later. And um, so it was a week later and it was funny. I was at a bike shop getting a, a one of my tires fixed with my kids. I wanted to go on a bike ride. <laughs> and Jacob called and he's like, hey, uh, so what would you think of being the voice of the ARCA series? And I'm like, like, do all of them like the races? <laughs> and he said, yes. I said, yes, of course, that would be amazing. You know, you just don't know when you say something like that, where the opportunity will come from. I figured maybe they'll put me on a couple practice sessions if we had practice this year, um, just not knowing. I just wanted them to know. 
you got to put your intentions out there because like he said i can't read your mind so neither can your boss you have to let them know your intentions and what you would like to do and when there's an opportunity they go oh yeah that's right jamie said she wanted to do that davy said he wanted to do that mm-hmm. and um and that's really what it was and i think i just put an idea in his head and and obviously they didn't have set plans for this year and uh he met with NASCAR, met with ARCA, and they all got on board and thought it was a great idea. So here we are. It was um, it was awesome. And just the other day, when I got back from Daytona, I drove by that bike shop. I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe it's it's finally <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah, a bike shop that nobody understands how much meaning it holds. That's yeah. That's every time I cool. drive by it, I'm like, oh my god, we're getting closer. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> I love that. You you told a story there, and it reminded me of another one that you mentioned. Um, I believe it was at a banquet. I don't know what year. I don't know. I guess it must have been NASCAR. Rusty Wallace said something to you, and it it goes along the theme, I believe, of you know making your intentions known and telling the people that matter, you know, what you want and where you want to go. Can you kind of retell that story? Because I think it yeah. was when I heard it, it was pretty inspirational, to be honest. Oh, thanks. Well, um, yeah, I was told in Rusty Wallace ways, and in, in the way that only he could tell it. <laughs> It was 2006 though. I was covering the IndyCar series still, and they actually put okay. Rusty Wallace on our broadcast. That's right. Him, you know, get his feet wet, learn broadcasting before we started with our new contract in 07 with NASCAR. So we were at dinner one night, all the the uh, whole production team, and and he's like, "So what are you doing next year, Jamie? You're coming with us, right, for NASCAR?" And I was like, "No, Rusty. I said that's my goal. It's always been my goal. That's the top. That's where I want to be." But everybody and their mother is calling our bosses saying they want to be on the team for NASCAR. I just don't want to be another one of those people. If they want me, they'll call me. And he goes, let me tell you something. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. If you want to do it, you need to go tell them. And that always stood out to me. And that here, I'm here as a play-by-play announcer now because I remembered what Rusty said. If you want to do it, you've got to be a squeaky wheel. Gets the grease. You got the yep. grease, Jamie. Yep. <laughs> I love that story. It's it's awesome. I and I've adopted it since I heard you tell that story. It, I mean, in small increments and spurts, but I've I've done it because it it really is true. So, that's cool. Well, sometimes I think the hardest part is just asking, right? Cuz you're scared to be yeah. turned down or but The worst they can say is no. Yeah, no. Somebody's got that job right now. You're good where you are. Okay. Well, this is still my goal. You know, you I think people are just a lot of times get caught up and being scared that they're going to be turned down. But what what's the worst that can happen? They tell you no. So always let your intentions right. be known. All right, let's get into your husband and some food talk because I'm a little hungry if I do say so <laughs> myself. Um, you and your husband, Cody, you guys own two Jimmy John's franchises. What made you take on that business venture? And is that out of your comfort zone at all? Or at the time when you started it was, was it? Yeah, so we have two Jimmy Johns in Las Vegas. And that's kind of um, when we had a a baby and I was on the road with NASCAR for the entire year. We used to cover the whole Xfinity series and then the second half of Cup with ESPN. And my husband was like, we need to do something where I'm working for myself so that when you're traveling, I could be with the kids. And it was genius for him to do that. And uh, he started looking into franchises. And Jimmy Johns obviously was in NASCAR. And when he looked at it, it was like, it just made sense. Just their whole model and everything made sense. So Mm -hmm. we started that. I think it's been eight years now. And um, 
So we have two there and now we have, we're getting ready to open our second Nothing Bunt Cakes franchise. So a cake business, which by the way, does awesome. People love their cake, yes. we're, we're learning. Um, <laughs> you guys have, they're all over the place, but yeah. Um, yeah, so it's going really well. And that's what my husband does. Like I'll help with deliveries and I'll go in sometimes in the off season, but yeah, that's his baby and, and it's great. I mean, when you're a broadcaster, you never know when, when your time is up and when the younger generation will take over. Yeah. So you have yeah. to have a plan B. And that's another lesson in life. I think don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? You need to have a plan B. Yeah, no offense, but I want your job one day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah, you get my <laughs> job and I'll start making cakes. <laughs> deal. Give me yeah. a discount and, and you got yourself a deal. All right, baby. 10 more years. All right, that's fine. I, I can do I can deal with that. Um, have you met Jimmy John, like the owner of Jimmy John's? And what's your favorite sandwich? Um, I have met him. I met him at a couple of races. I think Chicago, because it was right outside yep. of Chicago where yeah, yeah. Jimmy John's was founded. Um, yeah, I met him a couple of times. And I don't know if I have a... I like the, the tuna on which that's kind of like my go-to. I just got yeah. one in Daytona. But I, I just love the product. I mean, I think it says something when you own the franchise and you still, when you're in different cities, you seek that yeah. out because you know the quality. And I mean, yeah. it's just, it's good. It's good sandwiches. So um, yeah, I love it. I stand by it. I, I think it's great. And by the way, they had a great Super Bowl commercial this year. So our they marketing did. dollars are working. <laughs> yes, they are. I, I was not on the Unwitch train until I started uh, doing Whole30 sporadically. And I realized that Unwitches were a great way of having a sandwich. So I'm all aboard the Unwitch train. And there's one right across from Daytona. So I'm sure that's the one you went to. And yep. um, when I was in college at Michigan State, there's a Jimmy John's literally right next door to where I live for two years. So I got it every race day. Yes, it's it's perfect. I love it. it so. It's freaky fast. It's freaky fast. You know what you're getting and it's pretty much everywhere we go. Pretty much, yeah. So you mentioned nothing but cakes. Uh, you're gonna open your second one, which is awesome news. How did that come about? D did you guys wanna expand to more um, businesses and just entrepreneurial aspects of your guys' life? or And was that a calculated thing or did that specific franchising come about organically? Yeah, well, they actually, Nothing But Cakes started in Las Vegas, I think like 22 years ago now. And um, we were getting ready to move to Indiana and we thought, well, what can we do there? You know, what kind of franchise can we take there? There were plenty of Jimmy John's here and Nothing But Cakes hadn't opened here yet. So the market was hot. And, uh, and so Hoosiers are finding out how great nothing but cakes is now. So it worked out. I haven't had it yet. I really need to need to get to wherever my nearest nothing but cakes is and try it. Yep. You need to look it up. It'll tell you the nearest one. Okay. I will. Marty Smith was telling a story on his podcast this past week that he, uh, he went there to pick something up for his wife and he was like amazed at the precision that the people making the cakes have and he was like in awe watching them for like 20 straight minutes it was funny <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah um how do you keep yourself in such great shape with sandwiches and cakes just like all around you all the time <laughs> i know right i don't eat a whole lot of cake i try yeah. them um of course i don't have a huge sweet tooth which is very helpful yes um, i'm always going i don't sit still very well and mm -hmm. um and i work out a lot so that you have to, I feel like you just, you, to be your best, you have to work your butt off and working out as part of that, eating well, getting plenty of rest. That's all part of it. Should I invest in a sandbag for my home workouts? Is it worth the hype? 
Heck yes. 150 bucks for a sandbag and you could do all of your workouts every day. I, I swear by it. I like to mix it up. I'm doing a kind of different style workout right now because it's too darn cold in, in the garage to do yeah, my yeah, sandbags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to work out when you can see your breath. Um, yeah. But yes, sandbags are so, so awesome. Brute Force is the one that I use and they have okay. a, a workout of the day. So they make your life easy. They show you what the workout looks like for you to do. Okay, so I'll invest in that, or I might invest in that, no promises. Uh, and I'll watch those videos, but also I might just throw on your Instagram feed and just copy everything you're doing because it's working you for go. you. <laughs> every once in a while, I'll put a little workout on there because every time I do, I get such great feedback, especially yeah. from women that are like, this is such a great workout and I don't have to leave the house. I could still be with my kids. And, uh, you know, it's easy to fit it in because it's like 20 minutes and it's a heck mm -hmm. of a lot cheaper than, um, you know, having a gym membership sandbags so versatile who would have thought that's right and you take the sand out you roll it up you could take it with you on the road easy peasy boom you also oh have a, a really big passion for animals and dogs and i'm shocked that it took me this long to bring it up because this is one of the first things i think of when i think of you jamie um just your passion for dogs in general there's a lot of different tentacles to go off of that but i want to start with you being a sideline reporter for america's top dog knowing you I feel like that has to be at the top of the mountain for you because that was a thrill. Oh, that show was so much fun. Yes, they called. I mean, I did not let my agent say no. Like, we fought for that show, and it was so much fun. It was police dogs competing against each other and um, just learning about the training and, and the discipline in these dogs and, and the dogs that are out on the streets with police and military, you know, protecting us it was just it was the best best experience i loved it um and i love dogs i've done the westminster kennel club dog show yep. the last mm -hmm. few years now learn all about all different breeds i have four dogs but i'm a big rescue believer i i'm not um not big on going and getting from a breeder i just mm -hmm. there's so many dogs that need homes that are perfect dogs so i've got all different sizes ages something for everyone in our house <laughs> is uh is one of them trying to say hello to us right now because i saw earlier you were telling her to get out of the room yeah he's laid down he's uh, on on the floor bailey yeah was there i've got a little pit pit bull over here sleeping in the corner i've got my pug the old girl sleeping over here they have to be in here with me when i'm doing i have to <laughs> see people think that i just wanted to have you on to, to chat with you but i just really wanted to see the dogs i mean yeah here i'll turn my camera so I don't know if you could. Oh, yeah. hey, hey, <laughs> she's only 10 months old. Oh, what a cutie. You don't have a favorite, though. You love them all equally, of course. Uh, I do have my little soul dog. She's the oldest one. Little Stella. Oh, OK, yeah, little Stella before kids. Stella wow. Bella. She rules the roost too. the old smallest dog is the boss of the whole family. Of course she is. Well, she's the OG if she was there before you guys. That's you guys exactly right. Yeah. She's the OG. <laughs> so as you said, you also did the Westminster dog show. Um, my question is, how do you prepare for, for that and America's top dog compared to your preparation for races? Because although you're doing the same thing, which is reporting, the substance is not the same. <laughs> so how do yeah. you go about the preparation in terms of those two differentiations? I think one of the hardest things you could ever do is cover racing because there are so many moving parts. There's just, there's so much to it. The intricacies are so much. Yeah. Um, but I think that it teaches you how to be a good reporter, a good note taker, and how to figure out what you need in your storytelling and what you don't. Because mm -hmm. there's so many stats. But, you know, 
Regan Smith might want a particular stat because he wants to tell a story a certain way. And maybe I don't want that stat. I tell my right. story this way. So that all carries over no matter what I cover, whether it's dogs or, you know, it was top dog, whatever it may be. You're looking at just storylines, their background, you know, what they've accomplished before, um, awards they won. Like it's it's very similar in okay. the process, you know, um, yeah. And because the end result is I tell the story the same way, whether I'm talking about a race car driver or I'm talking about a dog or a police officer. See, that's interesting. I would have thought that there would be completely different preparation processes, but the more you know, it's similar. Yeah. I mean, you'll ask different questions, obviously, but yes. <laughs> you go about it. And I, I think the perfect word for it is your process, the way that you gather mm -hmm. information to be able to tell the story in your own words. That's cool. And that's not all either, because I know Las Vegas to the rescue the calendar project that you do. You're really passionate about that as well. I feel like I need to get one to hang in this room over here. Yes, I did that one year. I wish I could do it more. I want to do something oh. like that in Indy, but I got all these local celebrities from Carrot Top to Wayne Newton, Brendan yeah. Don. They all post with shelter dogs, like in their place of work. So um, it, it was incredible. It was a ton of work, but we, we raised a bunch of money and I just love doing things like that. I try to go to NASCAR markets that we go to um, and I'll find a small shelter and I make a donation and I'll play with some dogs and post them on my social channel. So hopefully they get adopted and, and raise awareness that that shelter's even in that community. Yeah, doing the Lord's work. It's 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 good Aww. to see. So, so Jamie, 11 Indy 500s, countless Daytona 500s, just had another one this past weekend, MotoGP, X Games, Supercross, Paintball, dog shows. You're a published author, for goodness sake. There's a video game named after you. Entrepreneur, philanthropist. Did I forget anything? Oh, I did. You pit reported while pregnant for a long ass time. Okay. <laughs> Have you realized and sat back and said, I've done a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? And I know I asked you that before, but seeing all that laid out and seeing what you've done in a relatively short amount of time, I hope that you're able to reflect on that and say, you know what? I've done all right. Yeah, it's not lost on me for sure. I think it, it's really like moments the day that I got to cover the ARCA race and you hear from people that you haven't heard from in so long. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel full. You realize how many people you've touched maybe and they keep an eye on you and maybe you don't talk to them or haven't talked to them in so long, but it comes out of the woodwork. That's pretty cool. That makes you realize like, man, I've been around a long time. I've I've met a lot of people and, and maybe touched a lot of people in that way. And um it's special. And I look behind me and these are some, you know, random things that, that stand out to me to, to remember just the career that I've had. But I'm always just looking up like there's still so much more to go. But I definitely it's not lost on me. I know it could all be done and over tomorrow. Um, it's definitely not promised tomorrow. So I appreciate it. And I've appreciated every every step coming up. It, it's just it's been a perfect career for me. So you're continuing to break barriers um, this season, as your employer, Fox, has said, is going to be the best season ever. But what's next for you? Because I feel like there's not much that you haven't done in motorsports. What's next? I don't know. I mean, in a new role, if if my bosses like the play-by-play -play aspect and, and they want to carry me through the ranks, then I'm on board. You don't put in this much time and effort to just sit back and say, okay, I made it far enough. I mean, Damn yeah, right. I always want to challenge myself and and move up the ladder it's what i did in motorsports from the beginning to get to nascar so 
um, yeah, we'll see where it takes us. That's the exciting thing now. I've shown that I I can do something else. I have a different skill set than maybe just reporting or hosting. So that's always a good thing. Um, the more diverse you could be, I think the better, especially in this day and age. You can't be just a one trick pony anymore. Swiss army knife. That's what they say. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamie, thank you for your time today. Um, and honestly, just thank you for your your time and your service to the motorsports community at large. I I know it's it's kind of cliche to say, but you are really one of the most unbelievable people, human beings, and just amazing at your job that I've come across. And I'm I'm glad that we've we've been able to develop a relationship here in the last couple months because whether you know it or not, you've had a big impact on me. So I I just thank you for that, and we look forward to seeing you calling more ARCA races this year. And in ten years, I'll take your job, and you can go over and take Mike Joy's job. How does that sound? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I don't know Michael like that, but uh, uh, yeah. yes. well, I wish you luck. You're doing a fantastic job. You're great at interviewing. Thank you very much, Jamie. I appreciate the time and I'll talk to you soon. All right, Davey. Sounds good. Take care. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Jamie Little part two living legend. I meant every word that I said there at the end. She's been an incredible example for not just myself, but I'm sure Women in the motorsports community. I mean, I was talking with my friend Heather DeBeau, guest on the show, and we were just literally gushing over how cool Jamie is and just how amazing she is in every sense of the word at her job as a human being. She's uh, she's one of a kind, and I, I thank her for her time. I Seriously, I mean, she, she could have done a lot of other things with her time, and she chose to spend 45 minutes of it with me, so I'm really, really thankful for that. Let's preview the Daytona Road Course this upcoming weekend. Weird race names. You'd think they'd like figure out a way to have the numbers better. The O'Reilly Auto Parts 253, Superstart Batteries 188, Brake Best Pads 159. Alrighty then. 70 laps, stages of 16, 16, and then the race ends on lap 70 for the Cup Series. Chase Elliott, the road course ace, is on the pole. Michael McDowell rolling off P2. Could he potentially repeat and become the first driver since Matt Kenseth in 2009 to win the first two races of the season? Would become the sixth different driver to do so if he did. And I'll tell you what, his odds actually are not that great to win the race. So if you're feeling lucky, sprinkle five or ten bucks on McDowell and you could maybe make a big payday. Austin Dillon is actually leading the point standings for the first time in his career. I know it's a little bit ticky-tacky and nitpicky, but facts are the facts. Chase looking to do what he does on the road courses. A.J. Allmendinger may have something to say about that, though. He's in the field for the first time since 2018 when he ran in the Cup Series for JTG Doherty Racing. I mentioned Michael McDowell. He has some solid odds. So does A.J. Allmendinger, if you want to sprinkle some on him, too. Talked about that in the Front Stretch podcast. Shameless plug once again. Um, and if Austin Sindrick was in this race, I think he would probably be up towards the front as well. Last time I checked, Chase was two to one, Truex was six to one, and I think Kevin Harvick, Ryan Blaney were twelve to one. So check your sports book of choice and maybe sprinkle some action there. But the O'Reilly Auto Parts two fifty three Sunday afternoon around three p.m. Rain or shine, we're going because rain tires in the rain on the road course. That'd be a fun sight to see. I can't wait for it. Look, nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Roper Racing, fresh off their P3 finish, they have teamed up with CarQuest Auto Parts for the 2021 Truck Series season. 
Kevin James will be the Grand Marshal for the Cup Series race on the Daytona Road Course this weekend. Star of the crew. I'm a couple episodes in, as I talked about with Jamie. Encourage you guys to watch that on Netflix. Parker Chase will be joining Kyle Busch Motorsports for two Truck Series races in the 51 this year. Jet Nolan's going to run for Nice Motorsports in the Truck Series six total times this year in the 44. John Hunter Nemechek's going to run a partial schedule for Sam Hunt Racing in Xfinity starting at Dover. Ford Performance School is sponsoring Chase Briscoe this weekend at the road course. Awesome announcement from former guests on the show, Ryan Vargas, Rhino, and Alvin Kamara. That's right, that Alvin Kamara, all-pro Saints running back, scored six teeters in a playoff game. Maybe it was regular season, I forget. But he's sponsoring the sixth car this weekend for the Daytona Road Course at JD Motorsports. The Big Squeezy is going to be on the sixth car, and Alvin Kamara co-owns that company down in Baton Rouge. That's pretty sweet. Congrats to Ryan and JD. The Pete Store will be sponsoring Anthony Alfredo this weekend. The Crew will sponsor Corey LaJoy, Inspire Motorsports. Aid Medcare Network is going to sponsor Justin Haley in the 77 Inspire 2. Penalties that were announced, Chris Gabehart and Jeremy Bolins both find 10,000 big ones apiece for lug nut violations on the 11 and the 2 car at Daytona. Michael Leoncini, I think I pronounced that right, I don't know. He was suspended indefinitely for a behavioral infraction. He was listed as the hauler driver of the 26 truck for GMS Racing. Riley Herp's going to drive for David Gillen Racing in the 17 truck this weekend. Connor Daly was announced that he's going to run for Nice Motorsports at Vegas in the truck later this year. Kaz Grahl is going to drive the number 02 for Young's Motorsports, replacing Chris Wright this weekend. Daytona International Speedway is adding some cement and turtles to the backstretch chicane. Drivers are complaining about that in the clash. Lawless Allen's making his National Series debut with Rayum Bros Racing this weekend in the trucks. Scott Heckert's going to drive for Live Fast in the Cup Series race. Camden Murphy teaming up with Nemco for the truck race. Friday night, probably when you're listening to this. Clicks Wipers is going to sponsor Garrett Smithley. Sad news that former Daytona International Speedway President Robin Brague passed away, so thoughts and prayers out to him and his family. Roush Fenway Racing became the first carbon-neutral team in NASCAR, powered by their sponsor, Castrol. And brothers Bobby and Roger Rius will compete for Jordan Anderson Racing this season on a partial basis. Whew, that will wrap things up for a packed and busy episode 95. Thank you for sticking around this long if you still are with me. Do me a favor if you made it this far. It'll take you two seconds. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Wherever you get your podcasts, we should be available there for your consumption. And it sounds trivial, but it really, really does help me out. It doesn't just boost my morale, but it helps more people discover the pod. I'm working on some stuff. Maybe a new social media platform will be added to my repertoire as you're listening to this. We shall see. But until next time, stay safe, stay inside, keep washing those hands, and I'll catch you all on the flip side. Thanks for listening.